so today, uh, it's, it, Matt was supposed to speak. And so uh, Friday morning, I text and email him, like at four in the morning, and say, hey, I want to preach on Sunday. And so because Matt is gracious, he let me preach and he put his agenda on the side. But also, I just want to forewarn you, in the email that I sent him, when I said, hey, I want to preach on Sunday, uh, Google flagged it and said that that's going to be a dangerous message. Literally, that's what happened on his, he took a screenshot and emailed it to me. It said that uh, it would be a dangerous message of the email that I was sending him. So I, I took it as, it is a dangerous message, uh, because if we do what I feel like we're called to do, then we will be empowered to do things with freedom and with grace. And so one of the things that was burning on my heart was, if you remember, I think it was about three or four weeks ago, we as a church came together and decided that we are going to seek God for deeper things. We want to experience him in our lives. We want his love to be on our hearts, and we want to come together and do it together. And during that time, we had people come forward, and the elders laid hands on them and anointed them with oil. I thought that was probably one of the most powerful things that I've seen in a long time, just the presence of the Lord in the room, how people were being ministered to. But then quickly after that, uh, I talked to a number of people. A lot of people faced um, trials, or they felt like they were under attack. And so I felt like today was to more give us some perspective on spiritual warfare so that we can be prepared and understand what's going on so we can overcome and be closer to the Lord. So an example that I want to start with is when we think of Peter um, in the boat with the storm, right? The storm's coming, Jesus is walking on water, and Peter looks out and he says, Jesus, you know, let me come out. And so he stepped out of the boat and started walking, and then it says that his eyes looked towards the waves, and he started to sink and get scared, and then Jesus came down and pulled him back up and pulled him into the boat. That's how I envision what happened on, Sunday, on that Sunday when we came together as a church, as faith, and we said, Lord, we want to seek you and encounter everything you have for us. We stepped out in that faith, and then usually when we step out in something new that God has for us, the enemy comes along to try to distract us with our eyes or with our hearts or with our emotions, just like Peter. He was distracted and looked towards the waves. And when that happened, he started sinking because he was losing faith. So that's what happens to us quite often, is when we start seeking the Lord in new areas, we get attacked in different ways we're not used to, and it pulls us away from what we originally set our hearts to do because now we're distracted at what the enemy is doing in our lives. So this um, teaching notes today is just going to be some practical experience on how to walk through spiritual warfare, what tools God has given us individually to fight against it, and it will highlight the areas individually in our own lives that we need to work on. Because each one of us have different strengths and weaknesses. We have greater faith in one area and not in the other. And depending on where your weakness is, is where the enemy attacks us at, right? So if we think of a real army, or if you think of, if anybody here plays sports, everybody knows I love sports, right? So if I'm playing against somebody, I'm going to attack them in their weakness, and they are going to try to attack me in my weakness. So as in a basketball player, so I played basketball, I'm right-handed. It's really good with my right hand. I wasn't as good with my left. So the people would put the defender on my right hand to make me dribble with my left. 
That's what the enemy does. The enemy knows us to where he knows where you specifically have a weakness in your life. And when he knows that, that's where he attacks. And now the question is, is why does God allow that to happen? Well, the answer is easy, right? He wants us to be stronger in faith in him. It's all about the way we get attacked is how we feel about Jesus. What, how we perceive Jesus, what we think of Jesus, what faith we have in Jesus dictates where the attack comes from. If I lack faith with Jesus and finances and I get attacked with bills out of nowhere or my car breaks down and I can't pay for it, I will be overwhelmed with just confusion, anxiety, fear. But if I have faith in finances because God has been faithful with me with finances, when those bills come, I don't even really worry about them. I'm just like, okay, the Lord will take care of it one way or the other. And when I say that, it doesn't mean that somebody's just going to come up and give me $1,000 to pay the bill. It could be that I talked to the insurance place and they put me on a payment plan. And I, God gave me a job to make money that I can pay off the bill. That's still him providing and being faithful in that area. So if you want to turn to your notes, um, the title of this, as I said, it's Overcoming by the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelation and the Knowledge of Him. So I'm going to take us through, real briefly, the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to start at the end and make my way to the beginning. Because I believe that Paul lays out key principles on spiritual warfare in Ephesians 1. And he tells us how to defeat everything in Ephesians chapter 1. Um, so one of the things I say is we are attacked in the places we are lacking wisdom and revelation on who he is. And he is Jesus. So individually, if we believe Jesus is our king, is our savior, is our friend, is our Lord, then when we live out that experience, it allows us to fight off the enemy when those areas are attacked in our lives. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says in verse 9 that God is made strong in our weakness, right? We're all very familiar with that verse. We quote it all the time as Christians, in my weakness you are made strong. And so when the Lord shows me weaknesses that I have in him, lacking in faith, lacking in trust, in whatever sphere you want to call that in, I don't feel guilty. I don't feel sad. I don't feel disappointed. I don't feel like I'm letting God down. He's showing me that so that I can be strong in him in that area and overcome that trial or that circumstance. You know, when our foundation is good, then when the bad things happen, we don't perceive them as wrong. So when if, I, if somebody came up and told me, David, you're lacking faith in finances, if I didn't have a good relationship with Jesus, I would feel attacked by that person. If Matt came and told me that, hey, man, I think you're really struggling with faith right now, with finances, you need to press in. You need to seek the Lord. You need to read scripture about it. If I was not in a good place, I would think that Matt's being mad at me and God's mad at me because I'm not living up to the standard. But our standards are so much different than Jesus's standards. Because Jesus' standards, when we go over Ephesians, the things I want you to focus on is how many times he says he's full of grace, full of mercy, full of love, encouraging, choosing you from the beginning to the end. So there is not this big discrepancy of me being a failure or not living up to his expectations because he sees me on the journey 
And when I'm on the journey and I'm comfortable in the journey, I don't carry the baggage or the weight of the journey. Does that make sense? So if I'm going to go packing or hiking, a lot of times you have to pack your tent, you have to pack your bag, and you have to carry it up the mountain, right? But with Jesus, I don't have to pack the bag or carry it. I just got to walk up the mountain, and he's carrying it for me, you know, right next to me. He's, he's encouraging me along the way, not disappointed when I need to stop and take a rest, right? All right, let's go to the notes. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 17. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist on the evil day and having done everything to stand firm, stand firm, therefore, with the belted waist of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having strapped your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, take up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, and to take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. So that is a whole lot right there that Paul just gave us. So sometimes Paul tells us one sentence that I want him to tell me 20 sentences, and sometimes he says 10 sentences when I only thought of one sentence. So when he just explained all these principalities and powers in, in the heavens, I would have just said, demons are messing with you, you know, in the heavens. But there's a reason that Paul lays this out because the spiritual realm is way more um, real than we imagine. And there's way more things going on that we, can, that we understand. And Paul's just trying to give us insight to opening up our eyes to know that there's things in heaven that are resisting us from encountering the love of Jesus, from encountering who God says that he is. Now, this next page, when I go through the full armor of God, uh, I want you to keep in mind this is my interpretation. You know, I'm sure there's other people's things of what each one of these things mean, and they're probably better than mine, but this is just how I view them. And if, if it makes sense to you, then I encourage you to use it. If it doesn't make sense, put in your own little thing of what you think the helmet of salvation is. Um, one of the key factors is God says, through Paul, that we need the full armor of God. So he just listed all these different things. Imagine if you put all this armor on and you didn't have your helmet on, right? So then you know that you're going to get, they're going to aim for your head. It's the same way in the spirit. Where you're lacking your protection is where you're going to be attacked at. So the belt of truth. I say the belt of truth is just your foundation. It's the foundation of truth. What is truth to you? Is the word true? Have you studied it? Have you meditated on it? Is your foundation built on a rock, the rock, or is it built on the sand where you're easily swayed to and fro? You, you're able to find, you know, the difference between a new believer and a believer who's been there for 20 years is usually the believer for 20 years has a better foundation because they've read scripture more and got understanding and fellowship with Jesus than a new believer. And the new believer is just building his foundation. He's trying to find out who God is. Um, the breastplate of righteousness. So my interpretation of the breastplate of righteousness is when I believe I'm standing right 
with God, my heart is protected. What I mean by that is when I stand here right now, I feel that Jesus loves me more than anybody else. I feel that he enjoys me, that he's proud of me, that he sees me, that he hears me, that he knows me, that he's not ashamed of me. And it's not because I've done anything right. Like, if you ask my wife, I don't do right things all the time. I try to. And that's the point. It's his righteousness in me that protects my heart. When I'm trusting in him and his faithfulness and my weakness, I'm able to stand before him without my heart being attacked. You know, it's easy to know when I'm being attacked as if my heart feels deceived. If my emotions are all over the place, if I feel like people are mad at me, if I feel like God's mad at me, if I feel like I just don't even know how to express what I'm feeling, you know, then I know the enemy's attacking my emotions. And I need to say, Lord, why am I being attacked in that way? How have I opened up the door for the enemy to attack me? Because I'm confident in how you feel about me, but I must have said or thought something in a situation that allowed that door to open for me to feel that pain. Does that make sense? Strapped on the the feet, the gospel of peace. I just feel that that just means wherever you go, that you're ready to share the gospel, share Jesus, and you bring peace to situations. And it doesn't mean that you're always out there evangelizing and telling everybody, but it's, it's like what Shay does with her class. It teaches people in a normal conversation how to explain what Jesus did in your life in a simple way without it being overwhelming. You know, so here's an example. I, a lot of, I spend a lot of time at Walmart, you know, so I have lots of Walmart stories. Just this last Thursday, I'm at Walmart with my kids. We're getting a pile of groceries, and you know now they only have two lines or you do self-checkout. So I'm like, well, I'm not doing self-checkout because my cart is overflowing, so I'm going to get in line. So I wait in line for like 20 minutes. I finally get up there, and the, the guy is maybe in his 60s. He is um, gay, and we started talking about Jesus. And the reason we started talking about Jesus is because he saw how I was interacting with my kids And he asked what we were doing this weekend, and I said, oh, our church is going to a baseball game. And that opened up a door into what he wanted to know, what I thought about Jesus and what he thought about Jesus. And his lasting response was, I wish all Christians were like you. That's what he said to me. He said, I wish more Christians were like you. And I said, well, thank you. You know, and it wasn't because I'm saying that what he's doing is okay. It was because I was trying to listen and love on him so that he could see Jesus through me. You know, to me, that's the gospel of peace. When the Bible talks about when Jesus came and sat with the prostitutes and the drunkards, they sat there because they didn't feel condemned. They sat there because they were interested in hearing what God had to say. And so there is times and places where we correct sin and we say what sin is and we address it. But there's also times when we love on people, and through that love, we, they see Jesus through you, and that's the peace that you're bringing, because they don't have that peace without Jesus. Does that make sense? Okay. Helmet of salvation. So to me, this is, do I believe he is my Savior? Do I believe that he has saved me from all my sins? That's a key one that I think a lot of people struggle with. It's why their brains and their thoughts get attacked so often on how God feels about me, what he thinks about me, what other people think about me, is because they, 
we don't understand the great mercy and grace that he's given us in salvation. When we have that in our lives, we walk with so much more freedom, guys. I'm telling you, if I had to pick one of these to go into battle with, I would have my helmet of salvation on. Because when I understand that Jesus has forgiven me of all my sins, it allows me to walk in freedom and to run, and it helps me not judge others. Because one thing that happens so often in our community, when I mean community, I mean believers, is when you see somebody doing something that you don't think they should be doing, we quickly judge. And when you understand that he's forgiven much, when you have forgiven much, you love much. And when I see others, I just know Jesus loves them and forgives them just like he forgives me. And it allows me to come alongside them and help them instead of condemn them. Does that make sense? So when we walk with the helmet of salvation, it gives us this confidence that when I stand before him, he has forgiven me of everything that I've done and I've repented of. As far as the east is from the west, I am set free, and it's not on me anymore. And you can tell the people when you're walking around somebody who feels guilty compared to somebody who walking in freedom and walking with joy and walking with love on their eyes. Okay, the sword of the Spirit. So usually when people refer to the sword of the Spirit, the first thing you think of is what? The Word of God, which is the Bible, right? That's what we've been taught. You know, the Word of God is the Bible. That is true. I also want to throw out there another little thing with the Word of God. When we read that now, that's the way we've been taught to interpret the Word of God. When they wrote that, think about it, the New Testament didn't exist yet. So they weren't thinking of what we're thinking. They were thinking of the Old Testament. They were thinking of the things they were writing down, but they were also thinking of the things that God has spoken to them, spoken over them, spoken around through other people. It was the word of God. It was the inspiration of when people would prophesy or encourage or feel the voice of the Lord. That's what Paul's saying that will fight for you as a sword. And the reference I would use is in, um, I might get it wrong, Revelation 19, you know, where it says that the, they will overcome by the word of their testimony. It's not that they are overcoming the enemy and everything that's coming against them by declaring what God has done in our own personal lives. That is the word of God. What he's done in my life is the word of God. It is his testimony. It is giving him glory and honor. It's not bringing me into it. It's putting it all on him. Does that make sense? I hope you guys hear me. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so in the ages to come, he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That is not of yourselves, it is of the gift of God and the result of works, so that no one will boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God is rich in mercy. 
God is rich in mercy. God is rich in mercy. I'm telling you, when you start struggling and you feel heaviness over you because of something that you've done or something you think you've done, or I don't know how God feels in me, and you just quote, God is rich in mercy. You say that out loud and you can feel the wave of the Holy Spirit come across you. He's washing us with truth. He's restoring how we feel. He's restoring our emotions. In the ages to come, we will be trophies. That's the way I picture that next verse, that I will be a trophy of Jesus in eternity, that when people look at me, I will be burning and shining. I will be giving all my glory to Jesus, but I will be his trophy. You will be his trophy. When I have problems with people or I'm struggling to see what Jesus sees in somebody, I think of two verses, this one and Ephesians chapter one. Because if I think of you as his trophy, then I want you to be the best that you can be and I want to encourage you in all your giftings because I want Jesus at the end of the day to receive the fullness of what he deserves. Does that make sense? This is what I want you to try to do, just to wake us up a little bit. I want you to repeat after me. I'm going to say a sentence, and then I'm going to say it again, and that's when you'll say it with me. I want you to say, I am Jesus' trophy. Okay? I am Jesus' trophy. I am Jesus' trophy. I am Jesus' trophy. I am Jesus' trophy. In this room right now, I can feel the delight that the Lord has for you. I can feel his love. I can feel his compassion. I can feel his desire. He has so much more greater depths to show us, and he wants to take us all back to understanding who he is and who he says he is. And when we understand that, then we'll believe who he says you are. He will, you will believe that you are his desire that he's the, you're the one that he wants above everybody else, that you are his favorite. And when we feel that, it gives us confidence. At the end of chapter two, it talks about being seated with Christ in heavenly places. Now we use that language all the time. I wanna try to give you a different understanding of what that means. And I've talked about it before, and I'll bring it up probably for the rest of my life, is John chapter 17. To me, Ephesians chapter 2, I finally got revelation on it after meditating enough on John chapter 17. And in John chapter 17, it starts off with this prayer, and one of the first words he says, Father, I desire. So it's Jesus praying to the Father, saying he desires everything in what he says. And in this 17, he says, I'm in them, as you are in me, that we would be one, I in them and them in me. And I just said that over and over. I, I just read it. I asked the Lord, how are you? Because we believe as Christians that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But for some reason, there's a disconnect in our brains when we say we're inside of him. And I feel like God needs, is wanting to shift us back to what the Bible says is that he is in us and we are in him 
seated in heavenly places. When I think of being seated in heavenly places, it's been a, it's been a transition of my life for the past 14 years of picturing heaven in different ways. When I used to go up to heaven, imagine heaven, I would be sitting next to Jesus. And then I transitioned to, I was sitting on Jesus's lap. You know, it showed like how I was growing in intimacy with the Lord. Now when I picture being up in heaven, I'm not on Jesus's lap. I'm not next to him. I am inside of him, looking through his chest, through his heart, through his mercy, through his grace, into the throne room that we studied on Revelation chapter 4, where there is a rainbow around his mercy seat. So when I'm up in heaven, when I'm imagining being in him, I'm inside of his heart, speaking forth the desires of my heart. I'm speaking forth intercession for others from Jesus's own heart because I am in him, and I've taken that authority because he gave it to us. So what I'm encouraging you to do is to ask the Lord to make it real to you that you are inside of him through the Holy Spirit, being one with him, not just that the Holy Spirit is in us, but that we are in him. Does that make sense? Maybe, maybe not. Guys are quiet today. Ephesians chapter 1, 17 through 23. that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power to us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his strength and his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in the age to come, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the key to everything that I was trying to say to you earlier. And so I want to try to walk it through with you to help you understand what the spirit of wisdom and revelation is in the knowledge of him. So it's a key thing that, the, that Paul's praying to the Father of glory that he would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that you would know the hope of his calling you would know why Jesus is Jesus. You would know what what Jesus is called to do. Who do you say that Jesus is? That's the root of our foundation right there is who do we say that Jesus is? And we have to have help from the spirit of wisdom and revelation that our eyes would be opened. The eyes of our heart would be opened so that we would be able to see him rightly, that we would have understanding and strength to move forward. So one thing that we did three or four weeks ago when we did the revelation, one of the key phrases that we sang is who was, who is, and who is to come. Night and day, the seraphim and the cherubim 
are saying in the throne room of God, who was, who is, and who is to come. Who was, who is, and who is to come. When that's being said, it's identifying and declaring who Jesus is, who he was, who he is at present, and who he is when he comes. It's declaring the whole life of Jesus, all of eternity, is summed up in those words. And in those words, show us where we are not understanding who Jesus is, where our struggles are, where we don't have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in. And that's kind of where I want to take us now. So who was? I'm going to, I wrote some stuff down. Who you have been to me and to others in the past? Am I lacking revelation of what you've done for me? Do I struggle with letting my past failures haunt me? Do I bring up wrong things that I've done over and over in my past? Do I struggle with feeling forgiven? Do I blame God for the things in my past? And I'm sure you could come up with other phrases. These are just some, some phrases that I got. In these phrases will show if you're struggling with who God was. When I was, you know, I don't even know, 15, 14, when bad things happened to me, you know, am I blaming God? Am I saying, why did you let this bad thing happen to me? Why did these things happen in my life? Why are these the choices that I made? Why are these the parents that I had? Why was these the neighbors that I had? Whatever those excuses and things that are really valid that happened to you in your life that were hard and horrible, but are you blaming God for them happening by saying, where were you? Or are you coming to the Lord saying, Lord, these things happened to me and I need you to show me where you were. It's two different heart responses. It's one blaming or one asking for healing. Am I putting my problems and my pain onto you, Jesus, by accusing you of not being faithful in my life? Or am I coming alongside and saying, Jesus, I know I'm in a fallen world and bad things happen, I need to know where you were when these things were happening. What were you feeling when these things happened? How did you help me through them to become stronger today because of the things that happened? Does that make sense? Who is? Oh, we'll go back to who was real quick. When you're confident in who was, in who God was, you are confident in your foundation. You're confident in the way God feels about you because you have the, the understanding that he's been faithful and for you from the beginning. When you don't have that sense of foundation, you're always wondering, Am, is God mad at me? Am I going to screw up? How does he feel about me? Oh, man, I just... Because if my past is forgiven... I'm strong in his love and in his mercy. I'm, if my past, if I see the sovereignty of Jesus over my life, even when bad things were happening, but I could see where the Lord was coming in and using them for his good, it gives me confidence in my heart that when bad things happen in the future, it will be okay because he's with me. Does that make sense? Okay. The who is. To me, the who is is identity. So when I think of God as who is, to me, it's my identity. 
who you currently are to me in this very second of time, this minute of this week? Am I lacking in faith in who you say you are in my life right now? So that's the example of like the medical bill. If I get a medical bill today that's like $2,000, am I going, is it going to rattle me? Or is it going to be, no, Lord, you are my provider. We will make it through. You'll give us wisdom on how to do that. Some signs that might show that you struggle with your identity of who God says he is, currently is, am I struggling with how Jesus feels towards me right now? Do I believe he is for me and not against me? Do I believe he loves me? Do I believe he's proud of me? Do you believe he desires you? To me, that word desire has so much weight from John 17. Father, I desire. Do you feel God desires you? Do you feel he wants to spend time with you? Do you feel that he wants to know you deeper than you know yourself? Do you feel he'll put other things aside to spend time with you? Even though we know God is infinite and he can do everything all at the same time, but it's about do you feel that personally, that yes, when I ask God for something, he's hearing me, he's seeing me, he's moving on my behalf before I even ask because he knows my desires. Do you have that relationship with him? If you don't, I would encourage you to grab some verses and say them over yourself. I would say, Father, you desire me. Father, you desire me. Jesus, you desire me. And I would, the more I say it, the more confidence I get in it, and it shifts the way I think and feel in my brain and in my heart, because when I declare truth, the spirit of truth, it moves things around us in the spiritual realm. It's taking apart those principalities and rulers that are over us, and the light is coming in, and the light is going out, and I feel empowered by the Spirit. It's all by Him. We cannot do this on our own. I can't pray in tongues to get my breakthrough. It's the Spirit who gives us the breakthrough. It's us turning our hearts to God, saying, God, we need help. Who is to come? What does he say about the future? Am I lacking revelation in what you have for me in the future? An example is, do I believe he has great things for me in the future? Do I believe he will reward me in eternity? Do I have a vision of eternity? Do you have a vision for five years from now? of where you want your relationship with God to be, where you want your finances to be, where you want your family to be. Do I have a vision for 10 years? Do I have a vision for 15 years? When you have a vision of the future, it gives you hope. Hope. If you're lacking in hope, it means that you don't have a vision of, of what is around the corner. Because I'm excited for my family. I'm excited for this church. I'm excited for my life personally that I'll be closer to Jesus five years from now than I am today. I'll have a different experience with him. I'll have greater understanding of his word and I'll have greater fellowship with others that will bring me closer to him. One thing that this church is doing right now is we're trying to create and build our community because when our community comes together, then we're a body and we are able to see Jesus in a different way than I could see him by myself. 
So when we went to the baseball game, even though to most people you would think, hey, this baseball game, it's just a fun thing. It has nothing to do with God. To me, it was all about fellowship and being around other believers and seeing how they interact with each other, see how they interact with their kids, laughing and joking with other parents and enjoying our presence, just like how Jesus enjoys our presence. When I watch a baseball game and if I have a beer, I'm imagining Jesus being right next to me, being totally fine with it and enjoying the baseball game and me yelling and screaming and getting the ball. You know, I'm picturing him being excited because I'm excited because I'm his child. Now, one thing I want to make sure about this message is I don't want you to feel that you have to work up this faith or you that you have to do certain things to achieve it. it all we have to do is to lean into Jesus and just say, Jesus, I want more. You know, um, a month or so, Dennis preached on a message and he brought up faith. And he said, you know, all God's asking is if I have a faith of a mustard seed, I can move a mountain. So if I have enough faith as a mustard seed to move a mountain, I have enough faith to ask God that he will meet me where I'm at in my weaknesses so I'll be made strong. So if I'm struggling with my identity of who Jesus says I am, then all I have to say is, Jesus, I'm struggling in this area and I need you to show me who I am to you. I need you to speak to me. I need to feel your peace. I need to feel your love. I need to feel that you enjoy me. And the way we do that is by the spirit of wisdom and revelation that will open up the eyes of our heart to see and feel what he sees, for us to be consumed by his emotions. You know, if you want to turn back to the, the front page, um, Friday night, Friday morning, I was woken up at 4 a.m. suddenly, you know, just like, boom, right out of bed. And I wanted to go back to bed, but I could understand and feel in the spirit that God had something. And I said, Lord, what are you doing? What are you saying? And he said, I have a message. You need to write it down. So I got up, got the computer, started typing out this sermon. And what he said I'm going, to I'm going to read it to you. He gave me this list, and I'm sure there's a hundred other words you could add to it. I'm just going to read the list that I got. It says, short list of ways to know you're under attack. If you feel heaviness, confusion, tiredness, helplessness, exhausted, hopeless, anger, discouragement, conflict, lack of vision, sickness, weary and complaining. He said these things to me as I'm writing them down. And he said, these are the little foxes that are ruining your vineyard. And it's pointing to Song of Solomon chapter two. These things, when we allow them into our lives, it ruins the garden that God is creating with relationship and friendship with us. And because we don't have the right identity of who Jesus is, the hope of his calling, we allow to believe certain lies about who Jesus is, and it takes away our relationship with Jesus. Does that make sense? So he says these things to me. Now it's 5 a.m., and I'm still typing because I'm a very slow typer. And outside our living room door, 
there starts this screaming of bloody murder of a woman. I mean, I think she's being raped or being shot or stabbed. I mean, like screaming beyond what you can ever imagine. And I'm turning the lights on. And of course, I'm not going out there because I don't want to die. Um, so I'm trying to see what's going on. And I can see that, I mean, it is so loud. It's going on for like five minutes. And I can't see what, who it is, where the screaming is coming from. And I can hear my wife. She woke up from the screaming. And now I'm looking out there. And finally, I see it. There is a fox out there screaming at this cat. YouTube it. Google it. it I, I never knew foxes made that kind of noise. It literally sounds like a screaming woman being murdered. And as soon as that, I heard that, and I saw it, I went and sat back down. I said, Lord, what are you trying to say? And he says, these are the little foxes that are ruining the vineyard. And so I want to encourage you that when you see these things, that when I've read those things, if you feel those, hey, yeah, I feel like I'm in heaviness or confusion or tiredness, what that's causing you to do, it's causing you to focus on, man, I just feel tired and not, I don't want to do anything, or I don't feel strong in the Lord, I don't feel like he loves me. You know, all these other areas of our lives that these are tied to, the way we get through these attacks is by going with truth and saying, Lord, I know you love me. And when we just say that and we don't even feel it, what happens is that the wave of the Spirit comes and he opens up the eyes of our heart he gives us revelation in our mind to change our thought patterns, and it allows us to walk in freedom. Now, when this happens, sometimes we want the immediate effect. Like, I feel bad, and I'm going to pray it, and I want it to lift off. Sometimes it happens that quick. Other times it could be a day, but you don't give up on it. You say, Lord, I am struggling in who you say that I am. I, my identity right now feels like I don't know who I am and why you created me and why you formed me, and I feel lost. I need you to strengthen me because I know you have a plan. And just by doing that simple little prayer throughout that day, I will feel lighter. My thoughts will come back to me. I'll be able to think of old prophetic words. I'll be able to think of when the Lord was faithful, paying different bills or faithful with relationships or faithful in healings. However you want to imagine it is when you feel these things, that's when our trigger should, our alarm should go off and say, Lord, something's not right right now. Who do you say that I am? You are the one who is, who was, and who is to come. And when we speak that and root that in our hearts, it gives us strength to overcome. Are you tracking with me? So what I, I feel like what we should do is I want Marley to come up, and she's going to lead us in some worship, and I want us to focus on Revelation, on Ephesians chapter 1, and I want to pray for anybody who wants to come forward to get the wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, and what I mean by that is I, if you're saying, hey, I, through that list that I just read, if you're saying, hey, I have like five of those, four of those, you should come forward. Because God wants to, it's not to bring condemnation on anybody. It's not to point out, hey, they're feeling bad. We all feel those ways throughout the week, throughout the day, however you want to word it. But there's sometimes with the impartation of the laying on of hands that the spirit of wisdom and revelation can be released, that it will open you up 
to receive from him. It's not going to be me or Matt or Dennis prophesying over you, giving you words that's going to shift your life. God might do that occasionally. What he's going to do to shift your life is when your eyes of your heart are opened, he will speak to you by the Spirit, and he will set you free. He will lead you, and you will be able to trust in him, not in man's words. Sometimes when men come in and we prophesy, or women come in and prophesy, we look to them as, hey, well, David gave me this word, so it must be true. God wants to remove the stage and he wants to speak to us individually about who we are to him and how much he matters to us and how much we matter to him. It's saying, hey, I want you more, Jesus, and I feel like I need a new touch of eyes to see. So if that's you, I want you just to come forward and we're just, I'm going to pray over everybody right now corporately for this to be released. And you don't even have to come forward to get it. I believe it's in the room already. But if you want to come forward, then come forward. So Jesus, I just thank you for who you are. You are the God who was, who is, and who is to come. You're faithful. You're full of mercy, rich in mercy. We are your trophies, Jesus. We are seated with you right now in heavenly places. I am inside of you, Jesus, and I declare from your heart in heaven that the spirit of wisdom and revelation will be released in this room, that the eyes of their heart would be opened, that they would know what is the hope of your calling and your inheritance in them, the inheritance in the saints, let them see themselves as your treasure. Let them see themselves as your desire. A fresh wave of confidence and wholeness would be released in this room. Fresh identity, fresh hope and resurrection of light. Dreams from old, Lord, would be released. God, I just ask you for dreams and hope to come again. In Jesus' name.
Could we be closer? I know you, but may I know you more? You're so close, but could we be closer?
Jesus, I just ask you even now, Lord, that you would rest on us. That we would see you as someone who's rich in mercy. Rich in mercy. Limitless mercy towards us, God. Let us walk in this mercy. Let us walk with others in mercy and in grace. It's a new day to feel you, Lord. It's a new day to feel your love and to hear your voice over us, how proud you are of us, how you see us. I release that over this church, God impartation to hear your voice of how proud you are every day of our lives, that we will feel your presence, that we will know the way you see us, that you're encouraging us to move forward. You have hope for us, God. Let us be rested in your hope and in your faithfulness. just ask you just to reveal the little foxes in our hearts the little offenses that we have towards you and who you say that you are lead us Holy Spirit lead us as a church into a body that will walk in freedom and in truth catch all the little lies in our hearts God restore us Bring us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. That's it. We're ending early. Sorry. Go in peace. Have fun. Claim those promises over your lives. Amen. <laughs>